Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. I have a secret. You have a secret. We all have secrets. But one of the things that happens is when we have these secrets, we end up being in the closet. And as you all know, this is Life Uncloseted, the podcast. And today we're going to talk about the secrets that we keep, whether it's about your sexuality or maybe even a little thing you're doing on the side with someone, or maybe a secret that you just don't want your family to know about, or a secret that keeps your community in the closet. I am so excited to be bringing this podcast to life today with a good friend of mine who is a fellow speaker. She's amazing at what she does. She she has changed a lot of lives over the 20 some odd years she's been doing this stuff. And I just want to say I'm so excited to have Elaine Pasqua here with me. She's a little powerhouse and I love her, love her, love her. And she's got some great stories she's going to share with us about the secret closets that we all hide in that should be brought out of the closet. So welcome to the podcast, my friend. So excited to have you here. Thank you, Rick. It is a pleasure to be with you, my friend. Yeah, so this is how this works. I shut up and you just take over from here. So, <laughs> well, you're a speaker. You know how to do this. It's like, okay, the stage is now mine. Let's get going. But uh, no, and it's so great to have you in the support here because I know there's a personal story around a secret that was kept in your life. And it actually ties to our community because you had someone very special, two people very special to you who kept a little secret there for a while. Yeah. You know, Rick, life changes on a phone call and I've had many of those occasions in my life. And I remember the day it was a November gray, November day in 1989. I was raking leaves and my husband pops his head out the door and said, your mom's on the phone. And I sit down on the steps of the deck and, you know, I've grabbed the phone and hi mom. And she goes, I'm going to tell you something, but I want you to promise not to tell anybody else. And I said, sure, no problem. I can keep a secret. And then she said, my stepdad, Charlie, has AIDS. And he was in the hospital. He was very sick, but they had misdiagnosed him with large cell lymphoma. But he was part of a a clinical trial back in the late 70s where they were infusing people with a, a product that was made from human plasma. And that's where he contracted it from. Blew us away. We had no idea. And my first thought was, what about you? And she said, well, they they drew my blood yesterday and we have to wait a whole nother week for our test results. At the end of that final, that, that week, we found out that she also had it. So we went from having one parent who we thought had cancer to having two parents who had AIDS. And back then in 1989, it was a death sentence and we weren't allowed to talk about it. So I tell people, imagine finding out that both of your parents are going to die and you can't tell anybody. And so now we're, we're just left with this devastating news in secrecy and we wanted support and we wanted help. And what did we do? We went to the community who was most discriminated against and it was most affected by HIV and AIDS at that time, but the gay community. And so here 
we came to this group that had been closeted to help us through this. And through our friends, I grew up right outside of New York and, and uh, they turned us on to the Gay Men's Health Crisis Center in New York. And it was amazing to see how that community of friends, I had a lot of gay friends and even the people at the Gay Men's Health Crisis Center, they were just so caring, so loving, so helpful for us. And, you know, I, I watched what stigma can do to people. And I think that's what causes people to go into the closet because the, the stigma, the fear of rejection, the fear of being treated differently than other people, um, the hate that's surrounded by stigma. And so, um, you know, we, it was a very challenging year. My stepfather died nine months later, and then my mother lived another five years. But watching her, first of all, watching him die in secrecy and shame, they're not telling anybody what's truly happening in their lives. Right. So yep. they're losing the love and the support and the closure that every human being deserves to have with their friends when you know, they're it's dying. It's so interesting to hear this story because... <clears throat> I hear this, you know, different stories, you know, obviously different stories, but I hear this about, let's not talk about this. Let's not talk about this. And I'm like that it, well, okay. Having lived it as my own, in my own world as a gay man, we're not going to talk about this. Right. But I hear this a lot. Like, okay, we're, we're, we have this disease or, you know, and, you know, people go hide this stuff and the, the mental anguish, even if you're not the person who is, affected with it per se, you know, and I'm doing air quotes here, folks. To hold somebody else's secret is horrible. It's awful. It's awful. And, it, and it's I, such a mental mind, you know, mind fuck, literally. It's a mental mind fuck to say, okay, I know about this, but I'm not going to talk about this. You yeah. Know? It eats you alive. Secrets mm-hmm. eat us alive. And I went to my mom two weeks later and I said, I can't do this with just the support of the family. I need more support because this is hurting me. And I said, I need to talk to some of my friends. And that's when we began the dance. Well, you can tell this person, but you can't tell tell that one because I take art lessons with it. And it was this whole song and dance that we did for five years of who knew, who didn't know. And, And that's really tough. And you know, the thing that happens, Rick, is that when you don't share something like this, it makes you believe that it's not in your community when it is. And that's how we build on the stereotypes. This is, this was a woman who was 60 at the time that she was diagnosed. And, you know, everybody's saying it's a gay disease. It's this, it's that. No, it's everybody's disease, Mm -hmm. but that's what the secrets do. They, they give us um, the wrong perception of what truly is happening. Well, I went through the same thing and I, I don't remember if I shared this with you, but my dad's oldest brother was gay and he was one of the very first ones diagnosed with HIV and AIDS. Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and it was always very interesting because I grew up around uncle Will and his partner, Bill. I mean, I, and was like, okay. And you know, the family kind of was like, okay, we accept and they, they get to come hang out and do holidays and stuff. But then the minute that they were out of earshot, there was the snickering behind their back and they're, oh, you know, all this sort of stuff. And as a young kid, I'm kind of like, okay. And of course, those were already influencing me, sure. not having any idea, like, you know, that here's who I am, right? And then even when he became diagnosed with, and, and this was literally right at the beginning. I mean, I remember going to see him in San Francisco um, just to, um, like probably five, six weeks before he passed away. 
and walking in the hospital bed and, you know, he's covered in splotches and everything. And we don't, you know, we're just like, we don't know what's going on. And even then like, well, we don't talk about, he's just really sick. He's just really sick. Now, of course, then we kind of, that's all we knew. He was really sick. Right. <clears throat> but after the fact, I mean, my God bless her. My grandmother never would even admit that he was gay all those what? years. Never wow. would admit it. And so now layer that on in my own personal experience of growing up and then the shame and, you know, you know, big religious Seventh-day Adventist family and everything. It's like you bury this stuff and you bury this stuff and you bury this stuff. And, and then here I am all those years later at 19, I come out. It's like, no, you can't be that. And we're going to send you to the pastor and all this sort of stuff, but we're, gonna, we're not going to talk about this, you know? And I'm like, this is where it's so pervasive to the human experience that secrets kill. I'm just going to put it out there. Exactly. Exactly. They and kill it, on so many levels. On so many levels. And then we wonder why there's so much mental health, you know, issues that go on in the world, you know, the depression, the, the mm -hmm. yes, all of it. I mean, you, you look at the uh, young gay community and the levels mm -hmm. of depression, they have the highest rates of suicide. Yep. Um, because they, they can't be who they are. They're not accepted by who they are from those who are homophobic. Right. And um, it's just, you know, and, and you just look at, and then you look at the energy that people mm -hmm. put into keeping the secret. My mother sought medical care across state lines, mm -hmm. you know, because she didn't want anybody to, she did everything she could to hide her infectious status. Um, you know, they, she, she made it, it requested that AIDS was not put down as the cause of death on my uh, stepfather's death certificate. So in, in standing by the gravesite, instead of like truly grieving over the fact that she just lost her second husband in 13 years, she was sitting there going, I wonder what's on that death certificate. I wonder what's on the death certificate. Mm -hmm. And the minute the service at the burial was over, the funeral director handed her the package and she immediately opened it up. So she wasn't feeling what she truly did because mm -hmm. that secret was more important. Well, she wasn't present. She wasn't present yeah. for what, what, you know, and, and the thing is, is, and I know this, I mean, I, I, I mean, my own person and a lot of people who go, you know, through this as an LGBTQ individual, the secret was, was killing me. It was the reason, you know, I mean, I'm a big guy and I, I, I was even bigger when I was in the closet because I was, drinking and eating i was the life of the party sort of big guy right yeah <clears throat> and and i love my wife there wasn't that wasn't the issue but there was the whole secret of like i'm hiding who i am and all the layers of fat and everything were like that hey this hides this and then the moment that that secret came out when i finally came out and and i realized I feel so much more alive. I feel so much better. I feel like I'm actually who I am. Yes. Okay. There was an incentive like, Hey, let's get in shape. But there was like a drive to like, just, okay. I don't have to carry this quote extra weight. And literally the extra weight like started dropping off. Wow. Now, yes. I started exercising just because I'm like, okay, <laughs> I want to find a man, but it's, it was so interesting to see. And I, you know, when I met my husband, George, I had gone to the real extreme. So I went from about 360 pounds to 180. Oh my I gosh. Mean, so oh it my was God. like half of me kind of huh. almost went away. And if you could see those pictures, if you could see those pictures, you would be like, is he okay? And of course, yeah. now here's is where we tie to your, yes, exactly. Yes. So immediately yes. we tie that right to there. And my, yep. my own family went right there. It's like, oh, 
Oh, you're sick, aren't you? And I'm like, no, I'm not sick. And of course, this was back in the day. (laughs) Okay, so we'll bring this to present day where when you used to go get tested for HIV and AIDS and you'd like you do the mouth swab and everything and you'd have to wait like 10 days and just be on pins and needles, pins and needles, pins and needles, right? Very similar to like, uh, do you have COVID? Do you have COVID? Do you have, you know, the same sort of experience. And I remember thinking, wow, part of what I'm actually feeling here has nothing to do with hey, my family thinks I have AIDS because I knew I didn't. I mean, I had tested. Sure. But it has to do with, shh, let's not talk about this. Let's not talk about this even still. And it's been a huge journey. And as I've gone through that journey, I've noticed and, you know, as I've transformed my speaking brand and everything from not just, you know, let's talk about the LGBTQ experience, but to this beautiful space of, everybody's got closets and everybody deserves to live their life unapologetically. When I think about people who don't live their lives unapologetic, it's because they've been told, shh, let's not do this. Right. Let's not do this. Don't share. Let's not say I'm a strong woman who wants to go lead an organization because that's not what women are supposed to do. Let's not talk about this, you know, whatever it might be. And especially when I start seeing all the stuff that's, you know, currently going on, but it's almost to the point of communities have this impact too. It's like suddenly shh, we don't talk about this. Shh, we don't talk about this. And oh. I've seen it, seen it with the vaccine in a huge way because the black community is like, we're not going to, uh-uh, we're not going to do this, but we're, they're vocal about why they won't, you know, because of everything that happened in the past with vaccines and stuff. But then there's almost a shame. And I had this conversation with a, a black friend of mine. He's like, yeah, I don't really talk about that. I'm fully vaxxed and boosted in my family circles. Yeah. And wow. I'm like, how sad. Yeah. How how sad that we're still there. You know? Well, you know, again, it all boils down to stigma. And the mm-hmm. stigma leads to isolation and depression and then confusion for people around them when you're keeping the secret. I mean, I remember when 11 days before my mom died, um, my best friend growing up came to me and she, she stood at my door. We were going to go see my mom. She wanted to say goodbye to her. And she said, I'm sorry. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I told my mom and dad that your mom has AIDS because they were just so confused. They couldn't figure out why did she have lesions on her brain? What's causing all this? And her mother worked in the medical world. And so we sat down with my mom and we told her, Kathy told her mom and dad, and, and, you know, and they're so sorry that you chose to do this on your own and didn't get support. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, mom, can we tell your story now and tell the truth? And I wanted to, to educate people. I knew I wanted to do this because that secret was just driving me to want to speak out. And I said, if we don't, we're not going to teach people about the prejudices against those with AIDS. So can I share it? And she was unable to speak, but she nodded her head yes. And so, and it was such a sense of relief. And I even wrote, I had been writing a journal and I wrote, you know, that now that her life is drawing to an end for the first time in her life, she doesn't care what people think. And also she didn't want anybody to go through this either. And so, you know, she gave me her blessings, but it does fan out into the community. Well, it does. And it holds people back in so many ways. And you, and you look in so many different ways. Um, You know, I, I did a speech in Washington, D.C. for the National Organization of Black County Officials. And the focus on that was how a community cannot truly do a needs assessment if people are closeted. Mm-hmm. Domestic violence. 
Yep. You know, we see people who are very, very wealthy that are victims, not just people that are, you know, it's not socioeconomic. It has nothing to do with educational status. So uh, people are closeted about that. They're hiding that. Um, you look at sexual violence. I had a very interesting experience. You know, most men who are victims of sexual violence do not speak out because for them, it's a fear that they have lost their masculinity because of this particular incident. Yep. And I was speaking, I, I work with the military as well. And I was speaking mm -hmm. at Picatinny Arsenal in New Jersey. And I did a training, it was a long, big long table in a small room for about 25 people. And after the program was over and people left the room, I sat down and it was four gentlemen who were there with me. And we were sitting and we were talking. Three of the four shared with me that they were victims of sexual violence. Mm. but they don't speak out about it. So again, mm -hmm. there's another realm where we lose our awareness. And because of that, we're not able to provide the support. And also because of that, those who are victimized are not able to get the support that they need to move past that experience, to get through the trauma and, mm -hmm. and to be able to have healthy re relationships again. Um, we see drug abuse and, and, and or people who are addicted to drugs. And in this country, how do we treat it? The policies are, are based on stigma and shame. Yep. And this, this, that's killing people because what are we doing? We're throwing them in jail, but we should be throwing them into rehab. And in yes. fact, it was Portugal had a program, I was reading about it a few years ago, where they were taking heroin addicts and they were actually giving them business loans. They were taking, uh, they, were, they were developing programs where um, they would also lend a financial support to businesses who would hire these individuals. And it gave these people a reason to wake up in the morning and it gave them hope. And they found that within like, I forget how long, a year or two, that their, their heroin rates of addiction went down like 70%. So amazing. if we can just be able to share, and I, I have friends who are addicted to heroin, you know, and, right. and people that start an Oxycontin because of too many surgeries, but <clears throat> they're not speaking out so they can get the help. And, um, and then well, that, that not speaking out is so prevalent in so many areas. I mean, yeah. I, I brought this up on the podcast before, but I think it's really relevant to this conversation. And it was really, I don't know. It was the divine intervention that happened the day that this came up. So I was speaking at Cal State Long Beach. One of the very first times I was even speaking, I wasn't even speaking professionally at the time. I just, hey, I'm on a panel, you know, so let's do this. And I'd been in, in on these panels before, and I'd actually been at Cal State Long Beach several times in this one professor's class, and it never even crossed my mind. And then finally, a student says, well, what about, what about this truth? Okay, so notice what they said, this truth that most people that are gay or lesbian, they were sexually abused as children. Ooh. Wow. And I was like, okay, so it's me, a lesbian, a transgender and an ally sitting on this panel. And I, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. And I thought, okay, I never thought I would really go here, but I said, well, let me, let me address that question. I said, as a boy of six years old, I was sexually awakened. And you notice I use the term sexually awakened because in that moment, when this happened with an older adult in the family, everything made sense. 
at six years old, I understood why I was so fascinated with men and why I was so fascinated with their genitalia and why hairy chests. And when I saw a guy with his shirt off, something was going on inside of little Ricky. And I said, I don't agree that it was right by any stretch of the imagination. And it wasn't. Nobody should be sexually awakened at any age until they're ready to take that journey. I said, but to say that that's why I'm gay is so not true. I already was having these feelings. I just didn't know what it was. And I said, I'm really glad that you asked that question because it gives me the opportunity to say, I'm a very well-adjusted man. And that did happen to me. But the secret of keeping that secret along with keeping secret that I was gay, along with keeping that secret while I was married until I finally came out of the closet, I said, every one of you in this room has your own journey of keeping a secret. And I want you to realize the reason I finally decided to share that was, hey, it was a great question. And I said to the student, said, thank you for asking that question because you went, you went somewhere that needed to be brought up. But also, I want you to think about what's the secret you're keeping. Right. And Absolutely. it was such a beautiful moment. And it was, and at that point, I'm like, okay, cat's out of the bag. I, I did it. Now, did I use it every time? No. But there were times I found the moments, you know, to say, hey, I'm not going to hide this anymore. It's just, you know, and it's in my book. It's referred to a little bit in my book, but I don't make it the pinnacle of because I don't want to I don't want to support that belief. I don't believe at all. You know, Okay, there may be a few cases that maybe that's it. But, you know, and I think in the work that you do and as you're talking about the different secrets and the different organizations, I'm sure because you do a lot of speaking, you know, like you said, military and companies and all this sort of sports and everything, but you do a lot of speaking at colleges and universities. And I'm sure, I'm sure you can pick out a student who is holding their secrets in like so easily. Well, you know, what's interesting is because I'm there Mm -hmm. and I, I'm not judgmental. I'm fun. I have so many students that come up to me that share their darkest secrets. And sometimes it could be something very simple of just sitting out there. Like after my program, I was at a campus. I won't, I won't name names because I try to protect right, right. You know, the identity of people. But I was on a campus for a couple of days and they'll have me meet with all different sports teams and stuff like that. So a young woman who had seen me that morning, um, I was standing outside the student athlete cafeteria and she was she saw me and we acknowledged each other. And and I said, how are you doing? What do you think of the program? And she gave me some feedback and then she went I just found out I have herpes and I stood up and I hugged her and I talked to her about enzymes that she can take and what she can do to to prevent this and how she can live with it and then she just opened up and she was going through like three or four really horrific things at that point in her 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 life and um and it was affecting her schoolwork it was affecting her athletic competitive abilities. Yep. And, and so I hear these stories and these secrets and they come to me and I'm still in touch. I stay in touch with them and she's right now she's working. She's, you know, it, it's, and we check in. And so I, I have um, lots of people that reach out and share. And it, you can see that sometimes when they'll say something to me, like another girl came up to me about herpes once and I sat down next to her on the steps and she asked the coaches, can I meet with her? Cause she has a break. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down next to her and she told me she had it and I put my arm around her and I gave her and she, I could just watch 
the, the relief just came. Her shoulders just went down and it was like, oh, this woman's going to be good to me and not right. be good. And, and that's the thing is people who hold secrets, they just need somebody to realize, okay, it's okay for me to share my secret. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay yeah. to be. And, you know, coming out is a big secret. I mean, I, I don't, oh. I don't, I don't, I don't, how do I want to say this? I don't love that I did what I did, so to speak, but I don't know that I did it intentionally. Like I, I was living by other people's standards and I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to get through life. Yet what I do know to be true is I learned so much about keeping secrets and how damaging they can be from that entire experience. And the more open I can be, and you know, as a person who's on the stage, <laughs> sometimes that being really super open on stage is a scary space too, you know, because there's going to be people who just don't like what you just said. And then there's going to be others that do, but I, the beauty of it is the impact. And so like you, it was really interesting. So that first time I ever talked about, you know, the sexual awakening, didn't really have anybody come up afterwards and want to talk about that. Well, about a month later, I was back on that same campus, different situation, but same kind of panel. And a student came up afterwards. I didn't talk about it on that panel. And he said, hey, I just, you know, I wanted you to know I saw you last month when you were here and spoke in this class. And I really enjoyed getting to see you speak again. He goes, wow, you, you kind of change it up every time you talk. I'm like, well, it kind of depends on what kids are asking, right? He goes, well you really helped me. I'm like, Oh, I'm glad. Like what in particular really helped you? He goes, I've never talked about this before. And I'm like, I'm waiting wow. for the true coming out story. Right. <clears throat> he goes, I realized I don't need to carry shame because somebody decided to sexually awaken me when I was eight years old. Wow. Wow. And so we spent like an hour talking and I, you know, we talked about, have you, you know, have you ever shared this with like a therapist or anything? no, no, no. And I'm really ashamed of it. And I'm like, you know, we got into the, why the shame and everything It's because basically he was told, which I was too, to a little bit, not as much as he was, but he was basically told it was his fault. He was the one who allowed it to happen. He was the one who allowed it to continue to happen. He was the one who was like taunting this. He's like, I'm eight years old. How am I, you know, so you can see the mental gymnastics he's going through. And I heard from him a couple of years and he's a great guy. I mean, I got to know this kid over the last few years of his college experience. And he's now, he went on to become a therapist to really focus on, you know, people who have had sexual awakening, sexual abuse situations. And it's so interesting to hear him talk now because he's like, there is no secret that's too big, except the mm -hmm. secret that you don't talk about. Mm, that's a great, great line. I love that. Yeah. Well, and, and you see that with um, victims of sexual violence. I mean, I have some girlfriends who talked about it was my fault that I was sexually assaulted. And they're holding it in and they're not processing and, mm -hmm. and realizing, no, it's not your fault. It's, you know, it's the perpetrator's fault. You, nobody, nobody deserves this. And, you know, you see stigma also fanning out into mental illness. I have a cousin who um, Bobby passed away a few years ago, but I became his legal guardian because he was an only child mm -hmm. and he was paranoid schizophrenic. And mm -hmm. I watched what he went through 
um, due to the stigma of mental illness and people not understanding it and people making fun of him. And he spent a lot of time in New York City, he lived in a group home right outside the city. And I would uh, hang, I would meet him in the city with him. And one day we were walking, I was walking him back to Port Authority. And he said, people, people stare at me, they look at me. And I said, how does that make you feel? And he said, vulnerable, you know? So they're, they're always living with this discomfort, this fear, um, because people don't understand it. And um, yeah. That's what's, so, <laughs> that's what's so human about this. I, and I wish people would really realize, hey, think about a secret you kept. What yeah. does that make you feel? How, yeah. does that, how does that affect you? And then suddenly the empathy, this is where I try to take people with empathy is like, now think about you have something like coming out or you've been a victim of sexual abuse or sexual violence or any of that sort of stuff, or maybe you're a closet eater. Think of the shame and the guilt and the vulnerability that you don't want to open up to about this. And suddenly it's like, oh, the, it kind of clicks your little secret. Maybe something quote unquote, that seems really little. And like, you're struggling. Like, I don't want to tell somebody that. Yeah, when I was a kid, I shoplifted something. Okay. Yeah. We all did. <laughs> I don't know that there's a whole lot of us who didn't. And if you tell me you didn't, I'm going to go, really? Yeah. Good on, good on you. Okay, great. But, um, you know, it, or I, I actually had a client once say, he goes, well, I think the whole guilt and shame thing and the secret keeping started when I was really young. I'm like, okay, well, let's, you know, I don't do that as a coach too often, but I like to go back a little bit. That's more therapy stuff. But I'm like, oh, well, let's talk about, you know, what do you think it is that might be contributing why you feel like you can't do this? And he goes, well, right. The first time is like, you know, I lied to my mom when she asked me after church one day, like, did you have your eyes open during prayer? He goes, no, no, mom, not. I was laughing, but I'm like, isn't this interesting that at 40 some years old, that's the genesis of him. Like he kept a secret. Wow. Yeah. I don't think, I think, I don't think my little lies to my parents were ones that went into my secret category. I (laughs) know mine either. You know, there's not a whole lot there. Bigger ones. um, but you know what? It, it's interesting, too, because um, your story reminds me very much of, of, of a dear, dear friend. He was one of my favorite friends growing up, and we're still in touch. And um, when he was in college and he was dating his girlfriend, she even said to him, um, I think you're gay. And he was like, no, 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 no. And they got married and they had two kids. And when the kids were teenagers, he finally came to terms with his sexuality mm-hmm. and he finally came out and he said, Elaine, it was so painful for me to do this to my family that I had a heart attack. I drove myself to the hospital. He was in his forties. Wow. And he said, I, because this was just eating me alive mentally mm-hmm. and physically to do this. Now his family, they're in a great place. He's best friends right. with his wife. Everybody is good. Now he's got a great partner, but there's that mental or, or the physical aspect mm-hmm. that comes along with all of these secrets too. Right. mind body connection. Yep. You know, and, it's, and it's right. interesting too. And I've worked with a lot of people through this in different ways, but you know, I'll go to one particular example where, you know, this one person finally just said, you know, I just, I, I, I think I'm just going to live with the secret. And my role as a coach is like, not to say you need to do this. I'm going to guide you to the space where you do what's best for you. Right. And even as this person said that, I could just see the weight, like just settle on his shoulders, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go this route. And we've stayed in touch a little bit off and on. Every once in a while, I'll get the message from him, like, I think I want a session with you. I'm like, okay, 
I'm always open to like doing something with somebody like, okay, maybe we're going to finally move and, and he'll get right up to the edge of the cliff. And he's like, no, it's just easier to like do what I need to do. But you can, each time I see him, I can see how much that secret and that is aging him, how he's got tons of, I don't, I don't want to say tons of health issues because of this, but I know they're contributing to it. You know, yeah. though, this, this holding that conflict in is just and he he has definitely gotten to the place where he goes we fight a lot he goes our 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 marriage is built on conflict of course i liked i tilt my head and go hmm but again they have to see it themselves before it becomes the true you know like okay the pain is great enough now to say i have got to move forward you know yeah well and and i think that the one thing that i'd love for your listeners to to understand or at least my perspective when you can release that secret, you can share that with other people to help yep. people move forward through their challenges. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, with my family, we were pretty divided about how we wanted to move forward through this experience of my mom right. and, and stepdad's um, death to AIDS or, or yeah, AIDS related complications. Right. I made a panel for the AIDS quilt and mm. it, my mom died in June of 1995. I made the panel. I worked on it. My brother, sister, and I designed it. And then I did most of the manual uh, work on it. And it was literally sitting on the floor. I was parting with it because it became my baby for so long. It was literally on the floor with the UPS box. And the next day I was going to fold it up and hand it away to the names project. So that was a big emotional thing. I get a phone call from my stepsister that night and my sister, I had done an educational program and I was featured in the newspaper and my stepsisters were very upset about it because my stepfather's name was mentioned in the article and they don't even live here. One's out in Texas and the other one was in, um, I guess she was upstate New York at that time. Mm -hmm. And so they were upset. And I said to her, I can't, I can't let you take the wings out of my sails right now because I had done a lot of speaking in that first year. It's the first year I ever spoke, but I just felt so good about my mission and what I was doing. And I said, I'm not going to stop this. So I'll make a compromise with you. I'm going to continue to share the story, but I will never mention your father's name in public again. Mm. And they were okay with that. And then she came to see me years later at Fordham university. And I was like, Oh no. And, um, and when the program was done, there were a lot of students lined up to talk to me. And I went outside into the atrium area and she and her daughter stood up and they clapped. And I said, are you OK with this? And she said, yes, because it wasn't about us. It was about them. Yeah. And so so we, we so sometimes you have to come to terms mm-hmm. with people in the family. But I think, again, more than anything, when you do share your secret, it allows you to help other people. Because so many other people have the same secret. And it also causes you sometimes to hit a button with other people. I mean, when I'm on stage and I do the bit about I was never faithful because I just was like trying to figure this all out. I know as soon as I say I was never faithful and I, you know, I had a lot of, you know, little hookups, not even little, but, you know, I I say it in a way that's like, okay, I don't want to admit I'm really a big hoe at the time, but I kind of was. It was like I was trying to make this all work, right? (laughs) 
there's rarely a time that I don't walk out and, you know, talking to people, there's always going to be one that's like, I just can't believe you did this to your wife. I can't believe that you admitted you were unfaithful. I'm like, well, I, I admit those things because somebody in the audience is going to realize they may not be gay, but they may be doing those same things. And it's time for that secret to get released. It can make them reevaluate yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Now, of course, if somebody's really in my face, I'm like, well, I am so glad that you heard that part because there's obviously something that you need to go work on that's a secret for you. And I hope that helps you figure it out. Now, though, rarely do I go there, but when they're really in my face, I am just like, I am just like, I, I'm not doing this, you know, because it's like that you really have an issue that it's not about me. And I, of course, I always go back to the phrase like, you know, whatever somebody says is all about them, what you hear is all about you. And again, it's rare that I will do that, especially if it's like a lot of people around. But if it's the person that catches me as I'm like walking down a hall, I'm like, I really want to talk to you. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. I just can't believe that you will stand there on stage and say all this stuff and talk about all the affairs, your poor ex-wife. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, this is one that it's all about you, because and most of the time I, I found out from a couple yeah. of people who've done that afterwards when we start really having the conversation and I can sometimes go there with people it was about them they're like i had somebody cheat on me and da, 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 and you're just i'm like okay so you just brought your whole experience into what i'm talking about which similar there's a similar parallel but it had what i'm talking about has nothing to do with that it's about living your life truthfully and all this sort of stuff so exactly. such and an interesting you know thing and you're you're so brave for getting up and talking honestly about this and people need to look at it through that lens and look at, instead of judging and condemning you for what you did, honor the fact that you're willing to share it so you can teach people. One of my favorite, I know this can sound crazy, and I, I don't know that I've ever talked about this. One of my favorite experiences after a talk like that was somebody, you know, there's quite a few people standing around talking to me. And one person says, well, I just... I think you're so brave for what you just shared and how you showed up on that stage. And this other person said, well, I just think he's a complete asshole. And that person that said I was so brave turned around and said, and that would be the pot calling the kettle black. You're the asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of like, I am not saying anything. I'm just going, I'm going to be professional here right now. Well, and I'm just going to kind of let it. And that, of course, that person walked away like, okay, they got called out. But you uh, know, and, and that's the nature of the business for those of is. us who are speakers. We're so vulnerable. I mean, you might as well be naked when you're on stage. Mm -hmm. And they just want to take even just one sentence and yep. tear you to shreds. And sometimes when somebody will do that to me, I'll look at them and I'll say, what do you think of the last 50, the other 59 minutes? Right. Were they exactly. Okay? You know, uh -huh. it's like, exactly. come on, people lighten up. You know, it's interesting. And this is like another part of the secret that I, I did. I did not go through conversion therapy. I did go to religious counseling right okay. after I came out at 19. And so there's a line in my talk where I'm like, so yeah, you know, I told my parents and so you know, they did what a lot of parents would do. They're like, we're going to, we're going to help you fix this. You know, we're going to have you talk to the pastor. And I'm like, okay. They can't accept it. Yeah. Right. So off I go to the pastor and, you know, I'm, I have some hopes about this that maybe, yeah, maybe there is something that I can fix here, even though I know in my mind it's not, but you know, I get there and I sit down and of course I know this pastor, he's the youth pastor at the college church. And as soon as I sit down, I think, well, mom and dad, Nice try, but he's really, really hot. So this just isn't going to work. 
<laughs> and he could have been gay. You don't know. Well, exactly. Well, actually, I, I honestly think that's what happened. But it's so funny because that's another one of those lines that as soon as I'm like, I've had people come up. Oh, I liked your talk. But, you know, that blasphemous part about talking to the pastor, it's like you're just putting this in front of God's eyes. And I'm like, OK, well, that's all you took away. <laughs> that's right. it. Right. But it, right. this is part of it. And that's where, you know, we dial back to like the secrets that people hold about things that they in when you push those buttons. You push those buttons. So, you know, uh, Rick, for your story, I just can't imagine how difficult it was because I, I again, I have a lot of gay friends that I'm very close to and talking to them about just the challenge to come out and how, <laughs> how hard that, how difficult it was and how long it took them to, to get up the courage to do that. Yep. And for you to finally come out and then for everybody to push you back in the closet to make you live a life, you know, where you had to, where you got married, you did this and you did, and, you know, I, I can't imagine how difficult that must've been for you. But it was, but it also was some of the most beautiful parts of my life because there's so much that happened through the, that time frame. I mean, I have two beautiful daughters because of that. I, right. I see myself very clearly. I had somebody tell me the other day, like, you're just so raw, true, and authentic. You're just, you, you're not afraid to put it out there. I'm like, oh, trust me, I am. It <laughs> may not sound like it, but there's, uh, trust me, I, I mean, I, I started a new thing with, you know, the company that I do coaching with yesterday, and it's all on stagecraft and everything. I'm like, I, I was like a jittery mess before I got on there because I was just like, oh my God, I haven't done this in a while. But it, again, it's like those interesting things. And I'm thinking through my head yesterday morning before I kick off, I'm like, okay. Is there something I'm forgetting? Is there like, is something going to come up in this that somebody's going to go, we know who you are. We've seen you speaking. You're not all that. I'm like, it's all these things, you know, because we, we are so conditioned as humans, like, oh, we don't want to let people see the real us. But, um, but I think that's the beauty. Yes. And, and I think the secrets, the secrets is what drives us to become our own worst enemies at times. The hiding yeah. and the holding back is what keeps so many people <laughs> ironically, maybe this is a good place to kind of bring us to a wrap, but, but that's what keeps people in closets, whether it's about your mother having AIDS and your stepfather, whether it's about closet eating, whether it's about an affair you're having, whether it's about, I mean, I actually talked to uh, some other people in our industry who are like, I don't want anybody to know that this has been the worst revenue year for me. I'm putting on the front. I'm like, I get it. Hands up. I get that. But man, what a secret. Like, oh, and I, I had a, a friend of mine, not a speaker, another friend of mine who's a coach. And she says, Rick, I, I've gone like $100,000 in debt this past year because of the pandemic trying to keep this business alive. But she goes, mm. I've got to keep the front up. I'm like, girlfriend. <laughs> you wish that people could just be authentic and Honest, and, oh, oh, authentic and honest. And this is who I am and this is what's happening. And because it would, it, when you do that, you're supporting other people because you're validating their experiences. And that, I think that validation is so, so important. Well, those two words really, I think that really does like bring us full circle here that I want people to think about this. Can you be honest and authentic if you have a secret? And you want to live by your convictions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was asked to speak on Broadway with the cast talk back from normal heart. And it was an mm -hmm. amazing experience because um, 
Jim Parsons and Lee, um, I just drew a blank on Lee's name, but some of these actors and they were all there. Larry Kramer was there mm. and they asked me to share my experience. And I talked about how I had one university um, cancel my engagement because a father was upset that I talked to the kids about safe oral sex and wow. using, they didn't mind the condom part. They didn't like the saran wrap for women right. uh, for providing oral sex vaginally. And, and I said to them, you know, I would rather piss off 10 people mm -hmm. and know that I saved three lives. Yep. That's more yep. important than anything else. So sometimes mm -hmm. you just have to stand up for your convictions you and do. say, the hell with those other people. It's their problem. Mm -hmm. If you're going to get a tight over saran wrap, you have an issue. Right. And uh, as you said, you can't stand up for your convictions if you're keeping a secret. Exactly. I couldn't stand up for who I was by keeping the secret. I couldn't be honest. And it was tearing me apart. I mean, it was like, there's so many layers to it. You know, the sleepless nights, the, okay, go have the hookup. And oh, that felt really good. But now I got to go like, I got to go change, <laughs> like change clothes, but like change everything. I have to yeah. like step back into like, okay here I am once again, boom, you know, and, and I, you know, to the background and stagecraft and acting and being a speaker, it's like, <laughs> please don't take this real. If anybody's going to hire me for a speaker, don't take what I'm about to say for real, but it's like such a costume change. You know, mm -hmm. I'm constantly changing costumes at that point in my life and saying just the right things. And it's kind of what we do kind of as speakers in some way, but I, I never pretend on stage. I mean, it's like, Hey, here's the real deal. This is how I see it. But I think a lot of people, when you think of the stage of your life, you can't be authentic, you can't be honest, and you can't live by your convictions when there's a secret, plain and simple. Exactly. What a relief it must have been to throw those costumes away. Yeah, exactly. So I am so glad we finally made this happen. Me too. Me this too. is, oh, Elaine yeah. and I could do this when we see, when we see each other <laughs> conferences, it's kind of sad because when we see each, have seen each other at National Speakers Association conference, it's like, Hey, good to see you. Let's sit down. Are we, oh, wait, I got to go here. And, and because Elaine's like doing a lot of stuff because she's deeply involved there, but it's so good to have this time and to like share your story. And I know it will have impact on anyone yeah. who's listening. And I learned so much about you and you're, I learned more from you today than, and that's the one thing we learn more from each other, you know, and, and that's, I always think that's crucial. Too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being thank part you, of man. this conversation Pleasure. and being a contributor. You're probably about the fourth or fifth NSA person who's jumped on the bandwagon here to say, Hey, let's do this. So, yeah. uh, yeah, but it's awesome. So, and you can find Elaine. You'll have her website and everything. It's elainepasqua.com. You'll see all these great things she does, but you know, hire her to talk about the oral sex condom. That's the one. That you, yeah. Because <laughs> she, she might have to get stopped going through an airport with all her paraphernalia. So just they saying. Do. It, I, mean, yes, yes, I travel around the country with a blue latex penis and I have great TSA <laughs> stories for everybody. I, I share that story every once in a while in the speaking group. I'm like, so let me tell you about a speaker who, and why she's gotten stopped many times and they're like oh, really i'm like yeah <laughs> so they're always, they're always so like have a nice vacation lady <laughs> exactly exactly so well thanks again my friend You're for this welcome. conversation it was so great me. pleasure hey hey life uncloseted family another episode of life uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology but before you do i've got a favor to ask of you would you hop over to itunes or spotify or podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here on life on Closet. 
here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping into living your life uncloseted.